Hello and welcome to Misbehave, the podcast where we explore human behavior in a business context. Season two of Misbehave is all about uncovering behavioral patterns which create success in life and business. We're joined by highly driven, accomplished individuals to assess their behavioral patterns and dive into how behaviors have influenced their journey. On this episode, we're joined by Kimberly Catton, CEO of SB1 Beauty Group and co-founder of West Barn Co., the creator behind the viral brow product Soap Brows. From her products being worn by everyone from the Kardashians to Becky Hill to being stocked in the likes of Harrods and Phoenix and selling across 60 countries, Kim is an innovator within the beauty and cosmetics industry. Well, welcome, Kim. We are so excited to have you join us. So you have just caught us up a little bit, but do you want to just give us, obviously we're going to dig deeper into all of this, but Mm -hmm. just a little bit of a roundup synopsis of your journey so far. Wow. Okay. I feel like I've had about nine lives, you know, so, um, and I think we'll go into this, but in a nutshell, I kind of started, I'll start from when I was a makeup artist. Yeah. Previous to that, there's more, but basically started as a makeup artist, um, eventually kind of came up with an idea that, uh, for a product that was missing on the market, brought that out and that was called Soap Brows and, yeah, everything kind of went a bit mad from there. So basically made Soap Brows part of a company called West Barn Co. West Barn Co ran that business um, and it's been an incredible journey. It's been absolutely amazing. The next step where we're at now is West Barn Co is now owned by SB1 Beauty Group. And that kind of is a bit of a mother and that owns a few other brands and such as well. So it's, it's, Grew arms and legs as well. It's <laughs> probably we'll the best. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I've had a bit of a, yeah, I've had about nine lives. I saw, because I've also been a nurse. I've also done lots of things, but um, that's a, a snapshot, I would guess. And you know, what's lovely about that is you, often people feel like they have to know what they want to do when they leave school. Uh, do you know what? I say this to a lot. I've got an 18 year old sister and I say this to her all the time. What do you want to do first? That's what I say. Mm-hmm. What do you want to do first? Because what do you want to do sounds so final and like such a pressure. So it would make a list, start with something and then don't, don't cross out everything else on your list. You can still do that. For me, that's exactly how I kind of um, took things and, and that's exactly what I did. <laughs> and I think that's such a lovely way, especially if we've got any younger listeners or, or people who maybe want to pivot their life choices or write a new chapter, yeah. t- take a change in a career, maybe took a career break mm-hmm. through, you know, a circumstance, a life event. I think it's important for people not to necessarily feel like they have to have the definitive answer and that has they have to stick to it. I mean, I love the fact that you've had nine lives and she's <laughs> still, you know, you're still it, almost in an early stage of your career, really. Mm-hmm. Um, we were laughing about the fact that you started out originally way back in finance. I did, how bizarre. <laughs> and then when we look at the fact that you t- went into like such a creative business mm-hmm. and when we look at your behavioural map, like finance would have definitely been the thing we would have yeah. said, I don't think you're going to be that good at or motivated to get up every day all and like. do. Yeah, oh, I really did not like it. It was awful. And to be honest, I d- there will be somebody out there who still does this job, but it was for a, a residential care home. So you literally kind of ringing people who their family members have died and asking for money oh gosh so it's not just finance it was like harsh heartless finance (laughs) (laughs) finance in its worst form and it's just so not me I I mean I learned a lot from it and I wouldn't I would not be able to understand finance the way I do now for the business 
um, if I hadn't have done that role. Yeah. So it's definitely, I feel like my life has been a bit of a jigsaw puzzle to get to the next step and the next bit. So yeah, it had its purpose, but I hated it. <laughs> Absolutely hated it. So yeah, it's fun, isn't it? <laughs> Talk to us a little bit about, so obviously you then moved into makeup mm-hmm. and when you were a makeup artist, you sort of came up with this thought process. Yeah. Tell us, because obviously the big piece of your map is this sort of big picture, yeah. visionary, mm-hmm. high goal focus. What did your vision look like at that point? It's funny, I've always... I don't know where this comes from and I guess this is where you guys are discovering these things but um, I've always kind of when I thought I want to be a makeup artist uh, makeup artistry as as an occasional makeup artist a bridal makeup you make very good money it's a very good business but for me I always had from the very beginning, even in my training, I was like, I don't want to be an occasional makeup artist. I want to be a TV makeup artist. I want to, I always have kind of got that thing in my head of where can I take this to? So I did all of the 50 odd weddings a year and oh God, I did 80 weddings one year. It's wow. just crazy. And then I moved into fashion thinking this will be really cool. I can do London Fashion Week and I hated it. Absolutely hated London Fashion Week as well. Again, it was... I think me figuring out that uh, I like to be surrounded by nice people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's like brutal, but it's true. <laughs> yeah. uh, London Fashion Week is not a very uh, welcoming uh, group of people. So I did that and then moved to TV eventually, which was always my goal. So I moved to TV and loved it. It's very much a community, very much nice food (laughs) (laughs) always important you get breakfast you get lunch you get get fed which is really nice because most makeup jobs you don't get fed and it makes people nicer people when Uh they're fed yeah 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 (laughs) absolutely Um, and I think I'm very I've I've always been uh, I I got kind of trained into shying away from being overwhelmed by the limelight or kind of celebrities or anything like that and it, it it just became a really nice environment. So you're surrounded by this incredible cast of extremely talented people, but it kind of becomes really usual and normal. And it's just a really nice place to be. Um, And yeah, you get to see things like people set themselves on fire and riding on horses at like stupid speeds on one arm with a sword in the hand and (laughs) just like the most bizarre day for work. I was going to work. What happened today? Seven people set themselves on fire. (laughs) (laughs) We broke the record. So it's mad, but I just loved it. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, And I did a few comedies as well, which again are brilliant because it's hilarious. (laughs) You can't laugh. (laughs) You can't make a sound, but it's brilliant. So... Yeah, ended up doing doing that. And I think that's where I, I kind of really learned about products and ingredients. Um, again, that was a stepping stone for me to, to where things have kind of progressed to. I very much had every actor who was like, oh, I'm allergic to X, Y, and Z. Oh, you can't use this product or that product. And everyone that sat in my chair was like the fussy ones or... Mm-hmm. And I get it because they're doing it every day. And if they have a reaction, we can't film for three days. Yeah. Because of continuity. So, yeah, I was always like, right, I have to get the ingredients right. I have to make sure that I'm using the right products. And so, yeah, that that led me to research about ingredients and what was in the products and what I could and couldn't use. And then that led to a bit more innovation and what it, what is on the market, what isn't on the market. Um, and, yeah, then, then came up with the idea of Sopros. 
it's so a curiosity, isn't it? It is. Like it's yeah. it's it's not just about wanting to like and change. It's about like the curious nature that I think you have yeah. and looking and thinking, right, what I'll go and find a way for mm-hmm. that. It's that you've got a real high goal focus and goal focus isn't just about goal. It's about finding solutions. solutions yeah. uh-huh. I'm told that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people, I think people take that sometimes the wrong way. That's interesting because somebody will come to us and say, oh, so whatever the problem is. And I'll go, oh, and I'll just give them a solution. And I think some people take that sometimes as that I, I, I'm not liking to be challenged or I'm not, but it's not, I'm just a solution focused person. Like give yeah. me a challenge. I'll try and solve it straight away. For sure. So tell us a little bit about, obviously created the product in mm-hmm. your mum's kitchen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what was the vision then? So like when that was happening, and I think I read an article um, that you'd done around family and friends coming and pitching in, I like, yeah. can totally picture yeah. what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And I think the interesting thing when people create something like that, and it's it's all driven by their behaviours. Mm-hmm. Some people like they genuinely have not thought past that. You know, you hear mm-hmm. entrepreneurs where they create a product and they sort of say, I never thought it would get this big. Yeah. All I was focused on was what was in front of us. Yeah. I'm assuming based on your profile, that wasn't the case for you. So what did that Yeah. What were you what was even going through your head at that stage? What was your big vision for yeah. that? My my mum's absolutely incredible. She's the formulator. She's mm-hmm. the kind of person who understands the formulation and stuff. So to a T. So I kind of took it to her, the idea and the concept. And she was, as you do, making creams and stuff in the kitchen anyway. <laughs> so she'd, we're an entrepreneurial family, yeah. the whole family. So, um, yeah. So I kind of said, do you think we can do this? And she said, yeah, absolutely. We got to work with formulation. And I remember trying it. I was in my... Um, it was a makeup room at the time where I did appointments actually. And I remember trying it in the room eventually when we got this really good uh, formula kind of nailed and I tried it and I was like, this is going to be big. And I just knew yeah. straight yeah. away. And I was like, this is going to be big. And I, I went back to my mom and I was like, we need a website. We need it. We need the trademarks. We need the lot. And she was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I was like, no, no, no this is going to be big. We need to get the trademarks. We need to get trademarks for this. It's it's absolutely incredible. The formula is brilliant. Nothing like this exists. Um, I want to give it to my friends and see what they think. She was like, right, okay. And my mum's the one who is like, I, we never kind of realised how far it was going to go. Yeah. Um, and to be fair, I didn't. No, to, but you had a vision you knew. Definitely had a vision that yeah. I knew wanted to be great, but I didn't know how far it would go. Yeah. And that speaks to some of your, because with behaviours, you've you've actually got quite a lot of balanced behaviours, which mean that you will be able to flex either side and some of what you're describing there. So you've got the high big picture, the high goal, the high change focus. So that's the bit that's like, I know this is going to be big. Mm -hmm. And it almost drives that action piece on it. But then you've got balance in things like process and choices. You're 50-50. So that's where it's interesting to hear you talk because it was almost like you had some steps there. If you were just visionary without that, Mm -hmm. it would be like, you wouldn't have had a plan of what to do next. It would yeah. just be like, this is going to be big and yeah. we just need to do something. Mm-hmm. But it was almost like, I know these few things mm-hmm. are the things we need to do. I don't yeah. need to know all the other how, Yeah, but actually we need to start doing and investing mm-hmm. and doing all of that. Wow, okay. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, when we chatted, you were saying about 
the importance of then finding people Mm -hmm. to come on board that could actually help you make that vision a reality. Um, And also just like learning how to flex as you, and and you talked a little bit about that. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience of bringing people in and having to hand over control and and find people who maybe were complimented some of the things that you had? What was that like for you? Something that I put a lot of energy into and definitely had goals from the very beginning on the goal for Westbound Core as a brand was always to create a really nice working environment. And yeah, it was, it was the, the kind of recruitment process was a bit intense, but very necessary. And we kind of, we kind of, kind of built this, the first few people I got in was just people who I really trusted and I knew they would be able to grow and um, very intelligent and be able to learn very quickly. And then I think as we got more people in, it was, it was like the whole team would decide whether they were hired, not just me. So for me, that was just kind of making sure it was a a community and a group of people who could, who could work well together. And again, I think the only kind of thing that I would think about when I was hiring anyone is, can they do that better than me? Can they do that job better than me? If they can, yes, then because when it's your business and it's yours, you need someone who is going to put just as much love and energy into it as what you would. So that was, for me, a big thing. I just would look and say, right, if this person can do this element better than me, then yeah, the rest of it is about, will they fit in? Have they got the right drive? Are they going to be able to uh, grow with this business? Yeah, it was an, it was very interesting. We had trial days and it, what people didn't realise, they realised later, but the staff would come in or the, they would be on a trial day. They would they would be placed with so many people throughout the day unknowingly. So it might be that they'd be sat next to somebody for lunch specifically. So all of the team had some kind of touch point with that person throughout the day. And the second day left at four o'clock, we would all get together and have a big huddle and we'd all discuss, every single one of us discuss whether that person was right for the job. So it wasn't the usual recruitment process. So definitely a big focus on skills, but also behaviours and cultural fit. Absolutely. Yeah, which is really interesting because, you know, there's an awful lot of people will recruit just on skills Mm -hmm. and then someone comes in and they're not a fit and it doesn't matter how good they are, if they're disruptive or they don't fit within the culture of the business or they hire people just that they like yeah. and they can get on with and actually then but that's not enough either yeah you know I, I, I don't we've we've done all the like my bricks and insights and all the rest of those other things but and I think for me I definitely learned early on that the, the higher people that you're similar to or that you like is really easy because you go oh they're I get on with them because they're similar to you for me, I, I kind of really recognised early on some of the traits that we didn't have within the team and trying to get balance. Mm. And that's where I think, you know, with the the maps that you guys do, I would be like, right, can we do this at interview so that we've got a full circle? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And we do do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And what's really interesting about what you just described is what you actually did is you created an environment where you were able to see a person's natural behaviours yeah. versus we were not huge advocates of things like assessment centres because you put a group of people in a room and depending on your dominant behaviours, either that that environment will either be really good for some people and really bad for others where Mm -hmm. actually, but actually the people that don't show themselves have value to bring. What you did is you almost created this environment that was really informal, that didn't 
directly know they were being assessed and by yeah. who. Yeah. So you were able to see what their natural behaviours were, not what they put on that they thought that you wanted to see uh-huh. to be able to assess for, for a job. Oh, totally. And I think it was really interesting to see how they engaged with other members of the team. We've always, um, my kind of approach has always been everybody's kind of together and there's we, we used to have a circle hierarchy instead of a pyramid and try to keep it um it's hard when the business grows it actually didn't work anymore but for very startup kind of company for us it worked incredibly well at first and I remember we have a boxing and labeling team some of them are in their 70s and that they love it and one of our interviewees our trial day was doing really well but then sat for kind of 10 minutes almost um, asking the the person who was boxing and labeling to like do things for them. And, and and we were a bit like later on, we were like, they did what? Like, look, this is not a team kind of environment that we've created here. And that, that, that hierarchy was really clear because it was a high role they were coming in for. They were trying to like assert authority over somebody in our team that was just boxing and labeling, but that's a vital part of the team. And what you probably saw there was maybe some practiced behaviours initially. Yeah. And then they sat down in an environment that maybe felt where they felt maybe less intimidated mm-hmm. or, and actually some of their natural behaviours came through that yeah. wasn't what you were looking exactly, for. Exactly. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about, because you guys have been on a bit of a journey mm-hmm. of um, a direct to consumer brand yes. to now being stuck in some amazing places yeah. like Harrods mm-hmm. and Phoenix. And, but tell us a little bit about that journey and almost was that planned did it evolve oh, what God. that journey's looked like <laughs> so it's been a huge kind of uh, I mean if anyone's going to start a cosmetic company don't do it then have a global pandemic kick off and <laughs> and then a, a UK cost of living crisis um so yeah needless to say we haven't had the usual journey um when we very first started uh, it was the normal <laughs> back in the normal days before <laughs> COVID and then COVID hit and we literally had no idea. We had no idea what was going to happen. I was 12 weeks pregnant. Uh, it was all a bit up in the air and we, because we were a manufacturing company, we could stay open. So for us during that time, it was very, un- we were very unsure. And then literally overnight, and this was the whole beauty industry. Once lockdown happened, the, the sales trebled overnight. And we were like skeleton staff manufacturing at 10 p.m. and trying to keep up with the orders. It was wild. We did that for a good, what, six months or so. It was just really, really good. Sales were doing incredibly well. Beauty was through the roof. COVID stopped, well, as, didn't, as it is. The, the lockdown kind of lifted and it started to become a bit back to the norm. And sales went back to normal, which was really weird. Because we were a bit like, well, we like the big numbers. Like, well, <laughs> it's like a got, new baseline now. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We were kind of a bit like, whoa. But it was still a, you know, a great company. It's still growing. And yeah, from there, it was it was a bit like, right, what's next? Cost of living crisis. <laughs> so that kind of hit. And we'd we'd moved and we've done all of this. And yeah, the whole thing has has been really difficult the last year, I would say. Really difficult. So it's be, the whole beauty industry has kind of paused, um, is the best way to put it. Um, there's a lot of buy-in freezes. We're quite lucky with having a unique product because people are still coming to us and they still want the product. But yeah, it's been much tougher than originally. So we kind of um, have shifted and, and restructured 
saw that SB1 Beauty Group now owns Westbourne Co. Yeah. And it's just got a few more arms and legs to it as well. So Westbourne Co. is owned by the mother company. company, yeah. And that mother company also does private label. We manufacture for other people. We do. We have a fulfillment centre now for other, other products. So it's not just beauty. We do some clothing as well, actually. And we also have a bit of a of an agency side, so we kind of uh, sell services out as well. So it's it's taken everything that we do really really well and putting it into packages for the people. We've got these incredible contacts. We've got an insane PR list. Like it's mad. We can get products in the hands of Beyonce. Like it's that's insane. So for us, I think it was just utilizing that so that it wasn't just. Um, used for just one brand. Mm-hmm. It had so much more potential. So uh, yeah, we fully restructured, which was pretty rubbish to be fair, the first yeah. when we did it. But yeah, it's 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 going well now and it's it's fun. <laughs> it's all fun. And, it's, and that, that change piece is so fascinating. And again, yeah. it's the solution piece in you, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. that, like that thought process of, we'll just take the PR list, right? Yeah. We essentially it's a product in itself we Uh own this we've Mm -hmm. done a bunch of work into it Mm -hmm. why would we just sell that in one way and actually if we can almost sell that as a product in itself as part of a service Mm -hmm. it's really interesting how that solution piece in you probably drove a lot of that it's like we've got this thing and Mm -hmm. how do we package it up in a slightly different way and I do that everywhere I go you know (laughs) it's good it's really bad it's a very resourceful I do it I do it with everybody I know I do it everywhere I go Free, free advice free advice do, honestly I go, if, I, if I have a business meeting or anyone and I'll do it everywhere I go I'm like have you ever thought about this have you ever thought about that why don't you just do this and do that oh you could sell that but it's, I do it everywhere I go has that ever because this podcast is called misbehave yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> has that ever let's take that as an example mm-hmm. has that ever caused you problems um yes I would say in relationships definitely mm. because I just, the way I see it is when I look at somebody and when I get to know them, I see their potential. That's, and it's, it's like a bit of a visionary thing that I see in somebody and I just want to drag it out of them. That's what I want to do. So, and I think that's where, when we hired, I wanted to look for people who, who, who had something in them that I could see and it was potential and I could go, I'm going to drag this out of that person. So yeah, in relationships, sometimes friendships, I would say as well, because some people don't want that mm-hmm. in their life. They just, you know. They don't I, want to be fixed. They want no, to stay No, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And and some people, I've got a friend, a very good friend, well, one of my best friends. She is a singer in a, um, and she goes kind of around care homes and she does events. She's fantastic. She's got this great business. And when she first started, I was like, oh, get some staff and do this and do that. And you could do different eras, dress up as 40s and then do a 50s night. And do, and she was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. I like my business this size and I like it as it is. And I was a bit like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. But it's really, yeah. really inspiring because actually since then, I've had a child, she's got kids and I've looked back and I'm kind of like, oh, I really get that. I get it. I totally understand it. Everybody's different, right? Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. what makes us all fabulous. But sometimes when you do have dominance, like behavioral patterns or just like in intuition, Mm -hmm. it's hard not to to dive in and and, and sort of want to help people. And you've got a big people piece in you. Just for, I'd be interested to know what what do you think it's like to work for you? (laughs) 
<laughs> a million dollar question. Oh, God. Um, I often refer myself, I can be a bit of a Tasmanian devil. So a little bit of a whirlwind where I can... But I'm, but because I'm very aware of it consciously, I try and pick up as I as I go. So I know that I'm a bit of a whirlwind, and I'll have a bit of a kind of disruption to everybody, and then I'll be like, all right, I'll just pick up all the pieces that I've just. So I'm very aware, but I think probably never dull. <laughs> That's what I say. <laughs> never a dull moment and you know what awareness is the first stage it's like that's why we do what we do because yeah. it gives you the insight but then also to understand when you need to flex yeah and sometimes you know I think as you get more experienced and as teams get bigger and you deal with more people you understand intuitively a bit more but it's about switching on your conscious isn't it like Absolutely. your conscious decisions and mind looking at your motivations you have one you have two motivations that are, are like pretty dominant one is the power piece which is around liking to lead, liking to take, like be seen to be taking the lead, having control and ownership. Mm -hmm. And the other one is around linked to people. Okay. So for you, I know that like that piece around leading and mm -hmm. often you are the driver, you're the leading force, you're the Tasmanian devil. <laughs> like that's the bit that is your absolute strength. How have you managed to be able to let go of some of that leadership and be able to delegate? How, how have you managed to do that? I think in my head, Understanding that some people can, it hasn't been easy to be totally honest. It is a natural thing in me to kind of just, just do, um, or, or lead or, yeah, I think it's definitely been a case of self-awareness and learning over the, t over time. I haven't, I don't think I've always been a certain way over the last few years, even I've definitely learned more about myself and how to change my behavior so people feel heard that has been a big thing for me as well, because like I said earlier, if someone comes to me with a problem and I go, oh, well, there's a solution for that. They don't sometimes feel hurt. So I'm changing my language now to try and make sure that people are not maybe um, pushed back or, and also I don't, I don't feel like an intimidating person or a, or a powerful, do you know what I mean? I don't feel like that. It's so, but I'm often told I can kind of, um, be a little bit like, oh, this is, this is what we're going to do. Full stop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I've definitely, self-reflection has been a big thing for me and making sure that I'm giving people a safe space for them to be able to challenge me. Yeah. I think that's been, that's been biggest thing big yeah piece. and we talk a bit about that don't we like just even with finding people where you feel like you trust them enough yeah. to be able to have an open environment where you can stimulate productive debate and mm -hmm. and challenge each other in a way that you're not making it personal where you're Absolutely. making it about the idea but it is sometimes hard when particularly if you've got such drive and passion they're your biggest strengths you don't want to you don't want to you don't want to stop that mm -hmm. that stuff but it's about just curbing it every now and again and making yeah. sure people don't feel dismissed yeah. I think that's the, the, the big thing, isn't it? That you, as you yeah. lovely, well, you know, you beautifully said not being heard mm -hmm. can sometimes, it's not your intention, but no. that's sometimes what can happen. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's definitely been, um, previous in one of my other lives, um, mm. we, I had a business with my mom, um, and we are the, the most opposite people, like, um, personality wise, yeah, we're total opposites. She thinks about all the things that I don't and I think about all the things that she doesn't. And I think at one point in the previous businesses, we kind of butted heads with that. 
until we really sat down and talked about it. And we literally sat down and said like, why don't we work well together? What is this about? We had one conversation about it, talked about it and saw it as a strength. Said, all right, this is a massive strength here. You're thinking about all the things that I'm not and I'm thinking about. This is a perfect partnership. And literally from that day, we worked perfectly together afterwards. Beautiful. And I think that that self-awareness, but that communication with each other is the big thing, isn't it? Because the opposite patterns can bring such strength. The challenge with them is when you don't understand each other or you're not able to communicate, then Mm -hmm. you just frustrate the life out of each other. But when you can be vulnerable and open and and say, right, that drives me crazy, but I need it. Mm -hmm. That's the big piece. I want to talk a little bit about, we talked about internally. So this piece around power and leadership and positioning, I want to talk a little bit about how that, how that works for you externally. So no big (laughs) question for people will be, okay, so you stocked in Harrods, like talk me through how that happened and how that feels. And I suppose the your motivators behind maybe some of those, those big, really well-known brands that now Mm. stock your products. Yeah. It's, um, it's a, bit of a weird one. I think because I worked in TV and film, I've kind of, and this does some of the people uh, who, who work with us, some of the staff's head in. <laughs> um, but I just don't know how else to, it's awful really when I think about it. We'll have a mini celebration. So Harrods, they came to us. So amazing. Um, so forward came to us. It was amazing, like brilliant. When they did, it was like, you get a little email it's just mm-hmm. like one sentence I saw. I'd love to chat to you. And you, you're like, <laughs> she's so blasey. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, I was just emailed. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Everybody else in the office is jumping up and down and buzzing. And 10 minutes later, I'm doing something else. And they're a bit like, what you, like, what, what is, and that's just, I can't, it's hard to explain. Um, and it's not that I don't like to celebrate these things. I kind of just do it a bit more internally, I think. Mm-hmm. And I, I really struggle with anything that feels braggy. It's just not me at all. Yeah, like yeah. It really, I was sh- I'm like, no, 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 I can't. Like, I remember we very first, it was the first year and we had the little mixed girls, like we're using the products. And even now I'm like, oh, like when I say it out loud. <laughs> just say it, please. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm just. I'll I say it. <laughs> Do you want me to name all the people that use your brows and wear it stuff? See, this is where I'm like, yeah. I can't, I can't, mm. I just can't. It's yeah. A, I just, that it makes us like, oh. And I don't know whether that's because of the TV training that I had, where mm-hmm. it was literally drilled in the air to be in the background. Be in the background, do not, because otherwise if you look at an actor wrong or more so if an actor looks at you wrong and the wife's on the side, you're out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's just one of them things where I kind of, oh, I don't know. Oh, what does it myself. feel like internally for you? So forget the braggy bit, mm-hmm. right? But like how it's approaching you, like yeah. what did that feel like for you? What was the sort of internal piece of that? Honestly, I think, for me, those things are only worth anything when they're shared. I don't see it as, yeah. um, I would be, if I was in an office by myself and Howard's emailed us, to me, it wouldn't really mean anything. But when you can say to a team of people who have all grafted together to be able to get at that point and, and you share that, I'm like, oh, that's that's the feeling that I want. Yeah. Yeah. That shared enjoyment, that shared success, that's where you go. That's what success is to me. It's something that you can share I don't see it as 
something you can enjoy as an individual that's just personally that's just me it's just how my brain works and that's the lovely balance of to be honest we don't see that many people who've got almost a joint motivation between power and affiliation right because they almost (laughs) contradict each other yeah but actually what you've just described is that that achievement and and almost like loving leading something Mm -hmm. and something being really successful and being seen to be successful but not without the team. Yeah. So if you didn't have that affiliation piece, it would just be about the product or you or yeah. sort of that status piece of it. Mm-hmm. But it's actually the recognition yeah. of something you've created, but collaboratively. That makes sense why I probably enjoyed TV more than fashion. Yeah. Because TV was such a team yeah. thing. It was a crew. It was a whole mm-hmm. crew. It wasn't just one person. Whereas fashion, it's all about Quite one singular. person. Yeah. <laughs> one thing that we hear a lot from especially from women running successful businesses is their peer group Mm -hmm. and that sometimes they've maybe got friendships or family members I mean obviously with your family it sounds like you've got a super entrepreneurial family but that maybe you don't have people who've done similar things to you Mm -hmm. and almost then it's it's who you share those successes with and the braggy bit that you talked about Mm -hmm. around talk us a little bit through how some of the stuff that you've achieved in business how that's impacted you personally I think somewhere inside, this is going to sound really weird. I think somewhere inside me, I'm really shy, right? And I'm, but I'm a twin and my twin is not shy. She's really confident, really outgoing. So I've, if you think about it, first day of school, I I, I didn't have the option to be shy because I had a twin beside us who was literally probably front and centre, you know, I, I feel like she dragged out some of those things in me through school and everything else where we were always together. So it's weird. It's been very weird when I've gone on a night out and I've seen somebody from school and they're like, oh, I've, I've bought your product the other day. I love it. Da, da, da. I'm a bit like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> nice to see you. Whereas <laughs> uh, Kirsty's like, oh, let's get a drink, like my sister. And I don't know, it's it's a bit of a, um, a funny one. Naturally, it's not natural for me to kind of be that that person but I, but I, I've had to push myself into it sometimes to do it anyway. And I think my friends and, and the people who are closest to us see that. Mm-hmm. So they, they're sometimes a bit like, are you, are you enjoying doing that? Is that fun for you? Cause we know you and actually, and sometimes I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't mind it. It's just part of work or whatever it might be. But yeah, I think they see a bit of a different version to me. And what you've, that's really interesting from it, because we talk a lot about, so you mentioned like Myers-Briggs and DISC and all of that. Mm-hmm. And we talk about the difference between personality and behaviour. Right. And kind of what you're describing there is personality, yeah. right? So extroverted, introverted, all of that. And what those personality assessments can do is sometimes make assumptions about you as a whole person. Yeah. But actually you're different mm-hmm. in different contexts. Totally. And we could look and say, so maybe on some of those things, you're probably more introverted mm-hmm. as a personality or yeah. character. Mm-hmm. But actually some of these driver behavioural patterns potentially in a work context will make you seem less introverted yeah. but it's actually your drivers that are doing that versus totally. your personality yeah that, so that's that, really that makes lovely. total sense yeah. yeah no one's put it like that before but yeah. that's exactly it mm-hmm. <laughs> and, abs- and absolutely we've been talking quite a bit about sort of the, the braggy bit or the you've actually just got some values that are linked to you being modest and being right. and being humble and I think it's like therapy this well <laughs> come and lie down on the sofa <laughs> But yeah, it's, 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 you know, those values 
of or what underpin your behaviors and like they're things that are really important to you that and I can tell because she's squirming in her seat for the listeners (laughs) when she's talking about some of the brands and the the successes but that's just because that's not something that you that's important to you and it's not something you really want to focus in on yes exactly and I think you know we meet lots of different people in in business and who've achieved amazing things and to be fair there's a big proportion of them where the success success isn't about a monetary value or it's Mm -hmm. not necessarily about even hitting specific you know high profile goals it's just about them having some personal vision or a personal cause that they're driving towards um totally i think some of me when i look back at some of the biggest successes i probably wouldn't say it sounds terrible and i know the Kirsty runs our PR is going to be like she's for a minute when I say <laughs> it's not the fact that somebody has well the product or it's stocked in an amazing brand or store and um, for me when I look back I look at um some of the staff and what they came to us and and what they were doing when they came to us and what they're now doing now and their capabilities and their achievements and I feel like for me that's such a huge thing when you can pull out somebody's potential and show show them a mirror and say, look what you're capable of actually. And some of our staff came to us and now they're in an entirely different role. Mm -hmm. And we had really cool ways of of doing that. We had um, a skills inventory that we would go through with staff to talk about skills that they maybe wouldn't mention. Mm -hmm. So we found out one of our HR girls does photography. She did it at university and she's actually a really good photographer. You you, you don't kind of get everybody's skills out of them when they're put in a box um, of a job description. So I think for me, that was one thing we did really, really well. And, and that's going to, that's going to be taken with people that those people's lives now and journeys have changed entirely because of that. So that's where I think all right, yeah, that's where I feel success, I guess. Yeah. There's a legacy in that, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. And there's also, you know, it's allowing people to play to their unique abilities and mm-hmm. also their their behaviour. So where they're, where they're most naturally in a fit yeah. and where they're kind of really being able to excel, which is lovely. Yeah. Just uh, to finish off, Kim, we could talk to talk to her all day. <laughs> just just to finish off, tell us a li- what what's the, the future vision look like? You've just done a major pivot. Yes. Um, what does the next sort of 12 months look like for you? So we really are kind of, um, we have this amazing focus at the moment on the private label side of things. Um, and we're working with some brilliant people to, to bring products to market that, that again, it feels like I'm meeting me a few, a few in the beginning and going, all right, don't worry. You don't have to do all the rubbish things that I did. We've done it. And we've kind of got this amazing team behind us. Um, and these really great connections who are plugged into us now at SB1. So it's, it's definitely expanding that working with small people. And I think what's great is previously, if we wanted to bring a product to market, you're looking at a minimum of about 20 grand and in a massive time frame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eight to 12 months easy for, for any kind of product idea. Whereas now we can have multiple products on the go, multiple innovation, multiple kind of um, creativity projects going on all at once. So for me, that's really exciting because that's that's where no day is the same. So we're definitely um, expanding on on the private label side of things and the services and the new services that we're offering to other people to make sure that if they want to go on the similar journey to what I've been on, we've got them covered. So yeah, it's very exciting. Amazing. Well, we're so excited to 
watch you and see what you do next and follow along on the journey but thank you so much this has been amazing no problem thank you so much for having me thanks Thanks for for the therapy guys (laughs) (laughs) learned so much have a pleasure So we loved talking to Kim about her journey. So as usual, let's wrap up with three key takeaways. So the first thing that Kim talked about was this concept of instead of asking people, what do you want to be or what do you want to do? And expecting a really defined path, actually asking, what do you want to do first? that actually it's more about what's that first step that somebody wants to take and then being open and flexible to the potential that that might actually change along the way and that the aim isn't to box them into something, it's just about getting them started. Another thing Kim talked about was the skills audit that they do in their business where they look at the hidden talents, behaviours, skill sets that people might have outside of their traditional job. So she talked about um, someone in her team being really skilled at photography, but actually that had nothing to do with the job. And actually by assessing some of those wider behaviours or talents, you might actually find something in someone that they're going to be really good at something other than just the job that you've put them in. So it's about not boxing that in and actually being open to looking at some things that you might not have originally noticed. And finally, Kimberly talked us through that trial day that they do from a recruitment standpoint and how they have people in a really organic way work with, shadow, go for lunch with, sit alongside lots of different people in their business. And actually what what they were really cleverly doing there was allowing people to exhibit and show their natural behaviours. So not in a practised assessment centre or set up interview, but actually an opportunity for them to be able to assess people's natural behaviours and how, how that might pertain to the job role that they're recruiting for and for them to then be able to better predict success. Thank you for listening to the Misbehave podcast. Hit subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. 